We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. In the interest of conserving energy and content, please enjoy last year's podcast following the 5-1 loss to Bayern in the group stages. See you next time. Just kidding. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We'll actually do a podcast for this 5-1 defeat, because why the fuck not? That's what we're here for, right? And joining me to do that is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Positive My Pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! And joining me uh, is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Uh, you you lot are far too cheery. Ah, it it's great. On. Yeah, you know what? Because we got all we got all the good ideas from from last year's five one. So I feel really prepared. You know, they say preparation is the key to the mother of invention. No, that's not. They say something anyway. Uh, Tim can't be here because he's down the bottom of a huge glass uh, or pint or monster. 40 ounce beer in Bavaria or something uh, he'll be back after we lose to Sutton at the weekend oh boy um, anyway so yeah let's dive right in so Clive explain to me how many crazy pills the manager took when he picked the lineup for uh, this match I'll tell you what Champions League days right whatever you say and sometimes we take these games for granted. But I was really excited about this. Oh game. yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 you know, online, it was just buzzing, and I, and I was, I was hooked. Right, the fan in me came out. I was hooked. And then the lineup comes out, and, and I, and I want to see the positives in it. And, and I, I look at it, and I'm wondering. I see the UEFA team sheet come out, and it doesn't look. The formation doesn't look right. I see Wobie's playing. I'm thinking, okay, this game might be a bit big for you. 
I'm hearing that he might use Urs as a second striker. I'm thinking, okay, that sort of makes sense. I'm, I'm desperately trying to see the positives. I'm desperately trying to see it. We're now playing a 4-4-1-1. That's not really our mantra. We've played 4-1-4-1 before. We've played 4-2-3-1. So I'm thinking, okay, is I'm not sure if Bayern Munich is a way to really test this out in its full in its fullness. I'm trying to see the positives. And then... You know, we've got Francis Cochrane in centre midfield. I'm a big fan of him, particularly in home games when he can be a he can be a bit more unstructured. We don't demand him to have quality in possession so much. We can just use him as a, a seek and destroy heat missile. I think away from home I've got concerns about his how he plays and how unstructured and how uncontrolled he can be. I'm still trying to see the positive, but when it comes down to it, we got caught between what we used to be and what we're trying to be. And we ended up picking a team that didn't try to devastate them attackingly or didn't try to secure us defensively. We picked this half-and-half half team to try and make sure that certain individuals were were well looked after. And I think he got it badly wrong. You think? <laughs> yeah, I think he did. I yeah. think. Uh, no, I can't disagree with the word of that. There. Look, I mean, I'm not that smart. And the people I follow on Twitter are really not that smart. I mean, you should see them. My God. Um, so for You're people talking who, to two of them, I know. So for people who are that not smart to all be tweeting that Robin and Lom were going to eat our lunch down the left hand side with Gibbs and Awobi starting, you wonder how the manager missed that. For that many people to know that with the two man midfield of Coughlin and Shaka, we had no chance of having any control of the match. It's a wonder that the manager didn't know that. For that many people to see that Awobi was useless in this match, that moving Oxlade-Chamberlain back out to the wing where he's had his most inconsistent performances and his least focused performances. I mean, there are so many aspects of what he did going into this match that people who are not that smart saw, and yet this man who has done this for over two decades, I, I mean, I'm starting to think that for him, it is really just picking the players he trusts and hoping they'll figure it out. Paul, can you get away from the conclusion that his preparation for a match these days is, which players do I think I trust beyond anything else? That that, that, that is really the depth of the, the tactical preparation for the match. Well, so I'll have to diverge here. Um, <laughs> here we go. Believe it or not. <laughs> Welcome to Analogy Corner. Fire away. No, no, no analogies. <laughs> I don't have it in me. Um, look, uh, we wanted him to do something different tactically. He did. I wouldn't have. It wasn't the lineup I wanted. Um, but uh, and to be fair, one of the people you you mentioned. Uh, I think Uwobi in particular for me was certainly a contributory factor. I thought Gibbs was okay. And I'll, uh, that's a longer conversation. We'll talk about that more. Um, here, here's how I saw the match. We, we took, the manager went 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1. Uh, but in his mind, 4-4-2 with Ozil having the role as a second striker. And I don't know, but... We got in at halftime 1-1, and by the end of the first half, they were lucky it was 1-1. Now, overall, they maybe had the better chances, and maybe they were a little bit the better team. But I think at the end of halftime, everybody uh, was 
or at the end of the first half, everybody was generally pleased with not only the result, but how we were shaping up and how we finished. I would say we started the second half in pretty good vein. We were doing all right till, uh, I wouldn't even put it on Kishelny directly. We were doing all right until two momentary pauses in concentration. And it's not that I don't put this on the manager, because I actually do. He was as guilty as anybody for the corner that we didn't get that led to the uh, first goal of being so front-footed that he took his eye off the ball. Then we had a Wobie jogging back. Uh, Gibbs was left two-on-one against uh, Lamb and, uh, and uh, what's his face, Robin, um, for that second goal, as he had been just a few moments before that when, in fact, uh, Robin... Uh, and Lamb also had the ball in that po- in that corner, and Robert to- Robin took it infield. Um, the the next goal, Mustafi fucking pointing at the fullback instead of covering the the center of the field. I don't know what the fuck it had to do. I don't know what our loss had to do with Cockland. To be quite honest, he certainly was a major factor in the first goal. But we were one one at half time. Uh, we were looking pretty good apart from two momentary lapses of conversation where I don't think the manager sent this team out with their heads screwed on right well, well, wait a, in wait that a minute. second half. Let, let's not go into crazy town just, just for a minute, though. I mean, let's not, let's not bleach this asshole so much that we can't see the huge ring of shit around it, like to, to use an analogy that I imagine you would. Um, like, yes, Coughlin did one thing wrong wrong but the absence of doing things good is also a thing wrong right no tackles six completed passes 46 consecutive minutes with no pass completed like so fucking what well, honestly right. he, he, we he, get we get but, all caught up in stats no but forget the, the stats just for a minute done, Paul. hang Paul. on the, pa- the passing was done through chaka and two fullbacks that was the fucking plan when you have 20 percent possession you're not going to pass it to cockland for him to pass it on no but you're not going to have 20 percent possession if you have players did, that are more adept me. at controlling the game Right? We I mean, weren't that- in it to control the game. We weren't able to. And that was not down to Coquelin. At the end of the first half, we looked well in this game. Just before that goal, I'm hearing the commentators purring about how well Arsenal is playing, about how an upset, it being a draw or better, was an upset on the course. We, sorry, until that second... Fr- at that first goal of the second half, we were well in this game. We were feeling good. We were playing well. And then we fucking jog back from that corner and leave ourselves shorthanded. That second goal had nothing to do with Coquelin or Chaka. They were in position. Gibbs was in position. The third goal had nothing to do with either of those players. Mustafi pointing at the corner. At him. Yeah, he had a shocker. Mustafi had a shocker. But I mean. Absolutely fucking shocking. Uh, so you can pull out all the stats you like. The team held up its end of the bargain till that second goal. We looked well in it in the first half. Uh, okay, so I respect your opinion on football and on the match, and so I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I see it a different way. I think it's a case at halftime that was bad process yielding good result in that um, the warning signs were there. We sure. were riding our luck a little bit. I will admit that from the time we got the equalizer, which was, I, I think unanimously had to be seen as a fortunate turn very much against the run of play. I agree that from that point to the end of the half, 
we had more of the chances and started to get a few opportunities in transition. But you could see, and, and we'll, we'll get back to you, Clive, real quick here, but, but you could see that they were reeling us in. That actually, and I felt this way, when we were sitting deep, at least we didn't look as vulnerable, but as they started to coax us out towards them, that's when they just started to look like they could rip us apart. And that's where I started to worry. And after halftime, that started to, to present itself more. Now, look, I get your uh, point about Cochran. So I don't disagree with you on that. Uh, and I, was, I thought we were playing well at the start of the second half, and that worried me. But that... Cochrane was not at fault because we were playing well, we were pushing forward, and he wasn't at fault that we got caught with our drawers down. No, no, Cochrane was can... not the problem. I'm right. sorry, he's not this other controlling player. We didn't play him as a controlling I don't, player. No, but I get that, I, Paul. I th- I'm not complaining that he's not something he isn't. I'm complaining that maybe that other thing is what we needed instead. So I'm not saying well, Cochrane. Sure, I mean, look, Cochrane is at fault for the first goal. I think. I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. a great strike, no question. But he, he as is Ozil, but yes, more so Cockle. More so Cockle. But here's my point: if you put Peak Shabby or like, we don't you, have fucking no, 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 Peak Shabby, Paul. That's not my point. You, hang on, just for a second. If you put Peak Shabby in the game instead of Cockle, right? We probably yeah, don't I'd, have twenty eight percent possession. I right. picked three chabbies, but we don't even have no, one. I, I know I, you're miss, you're missing my point. My point is simply I'm to say I'm getting your point. I I got I knew this fucking discussion would come before we ever got on. We, not only you can argue that the other way. If you have chabby, you play to him. If you don't have him, you play it to the fullbacks and Chaka, and they distribute. That's why his passing so low. Well, here's the problem too. I mean, we went with a midfield too, which gives him even less. I mean, if we had gone Ox and Chaka and Cochrane in midfield, maybe maybe we get more out of the qualities that that Cochrane has. You know, I would have loved to have seen an El Nenny and a Chaka and and and. Uh, ox in midfield because ultimately I don't think we're a team that can play at 28%, 29% possession and not eventually crumble at the back. Clive, let me come to you. I, can I just say, yeah. I think we're missing the point because we're getting caught up in one or two individuals and we could argue till to, to we die in terms of stats. You can't measure Cockland's performance on st- stats in that particular game. The mistakes were made due to lack of... Uh, m- Due to the mindset of the team as a whole yes. in a couple of critical moments in that second half, and that's because of how the manager sent them out and yes. the messages he was giving them from the sideline. That's I, my... I don't disagree. And, and look, a, a team is not a single, is not a collection of individuals. It's a machine with cogs in it. And when you put a Wobie and Gibbs on the left, when you play Ozil in a free roll ten in at the Allianz, when you have a two-man midfield, yeah, all of those things contribute ultimately. You're going to get overloads on the right. Yes, and by the way... Especially, uh, I defend Gibbs, but Mm -hmm. if we just take that three, you got Ozil, Iwobi, and Gibbs all in that corner. Where did all the trouble come from? Yeah, that's right, and everybody's pregame even saw it coming. And by the way, I don't think that a team of Arsenal stature should go to the Allianz or or the, the new camp or any anywhere in world football and expect that they can't have 35% possession. I just think we should be beyond that at that point. But anyway, Clive... I'll let you weigh in here. I mean, do we have to point it in? I mean, look, look let's just talk Cochrane for a minute. I want to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, he has come in for a lot of individual criticism. The system itself has to be criticized. I mean, I admit that Cochrane is taking an absolute beating in the wake of this, and the statistics are unflattering, and, and people are really piling on. Is he a victim of a system that put him in an untenable position? 
Yeah, he is. He's a he's a victim of not us not understanding how to use him. Right. So, for me in this scenario, I I never see Coquelin as a great player to play in some of these big away games. I love him being unstructured at home. I love him being able to seek and destroy and go and kill people, smash people, turn over transition tackles. It doesn't matter so much because we're in charge in the game. We're overloading. We've got possession. We just need him to create something untidy that we can work with. When we go away from home against big teams, we need to make the most of the possession that we have. And so where Cochrane's weaknesses are is that his support line runs are not really real progressive they are a bit more decoy runs. It, it's not natural to him to really go and have a high touch game. It's just not in his DNA. That's okay. We're all we're all we we all got different attributes as midfielders. We have got another midfielder in El Nenny who's all about rhythm, passing, being available. His pressing is not as intense as Cochrane's, but he has a defensive mindset. And what he does very well is he watches his defensive distances. So what we did in this team selection is we didn't decide we didn't to use one of tim's phrases we didn't commit to a plan again we went halfway house we wanted to have two wide men so we could match their overloads in wide areas i sort of get why had he out there would well better done a better job we know what if you're a serious club and you want to sit deep and you want to you want to make sure you can attack the overloads properly you know what a mad thing to do was to play gibbs and monreal and have two people there that can actually defend that side against their star player in Robin. Oxley Chamber did a decent defensive job with, with Bellerin. Wasn't too much coming from that side. Decide what you want to do. If you're going to sit deep and stop the overloads and really spring, then pick someone who can do it. None of us would hold Iwobi up as a defensive dynamo. He's inexperienced. He locks off in concentration and he's loose. And Cochrane plays with his heart. He, when he's when he's under pressure, what he does is he chases after the ball. And all that means is people pick him off. They pass around him. They pass around him and they run into the space that he just leaves. It's just, it's just spatial rotation, right? As soon as he comes out, someone pops in. Shaka moves, they pop into a space that Shaka's moved into. You need a level of intelligence, maturity and calmness. I'm not kidding the guy. What he does really, really well, he does really, really well. I don't think we needed his attributes for Bayern Munich away. When we play a tackler like that, what it does, it gives us comfort. We've got someone who can win the ball back. You know what? When you're playing with Thiago, Xabi Alonso, these and Vidal, these players, you can't press their technique. No. It's one touch, body shapes the right he way. He never got pop, close to pop, them, to be honest. Round the corner. It's not his fault. They're too good. They're too good. So what you've got to do is you've got to wait. You've got to shuffle. You've got to travel. You've got to move as the ball's traveling. There's no mistakes coming from them. This isn't West Brom. This is Vidal. This is Alonso. They know what to do. It's one touch. Pace, pace a pass through the lines. Support run. Be there again. Next phase. Out wide. Overload. Overload. Overload out wide. Cut it back. Go out the other side. And they make you work. And all this does to me, you've got to be smart. You've got to be calm. You've got to be cool. And I'm afraid that's not Cochrane's game. We don't know how to deploy him. We deployed him incorrectly in this game. We deployed Iwobi incorrectly in this game for the strategy that we chose. We could have chosen other strategies, a much more offensive strategy. I mean, guys, how did you feel when Alexis Sanchez ran, ran um, Martinez and Hummels back? Did you suddenly think we've got pace on the bench that we can run this team? Of course. You know, we... 
we didn't choose. We didn't commit one way or the other. So we went halfway house to make sure we looked after our superstar players. And we ended up with, with, that, with that result. And we mm. didn't lose in an Arsenal way. We didn't lose over committing. We lost in a normal Meekly. mental capitulation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, I'd rather I, see us I, lose. I think we mentally overcommitted, though. I mean, the, the mental mistake of chasing that corner that was legitimately a, 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 uh, a, a kick out for, uh, for Neuer with the manager ranting and raving on the sideline about the corner he didn't get. Meanwhile, the ball's going down to that, the dangerous Bayern, or what do you call them, Robin and Lamb axis there. And we're only getting our shit together. I mean, that, that's just a couple of minutes into the second half. And we're, we're acting like we're chasing the game or something. I mean... We've seen this before, though, Paul, haven't we? We've seen yeah. this immaturity. This is we a get classic... A goal. Yeah, it's a and classic. Do you remember goal. Monaco? Do you remember Monaco? Yeah. We get a goal and we, we for chase the, after it. Yeah, the naive comment from Arson. And in the the couple of times he's used that naive comment, I've always thought, well, it seems to be coming from you specifically in that game. It, in in none of those situations do you see him working to get the message out there to get his team back or to sit or to whatever. You always get the sense he was fine with it until it went wrong. The Barcelona game when we got skinned by Neymar and we were still in that game. This team has never seen a 2-1 deficit that it couldn't turn into a 4-1 deficit. It's like yeah, once we fall behind, our approach to trying to get back in it is like FIFA, all-out attack and everybody in the other half and no one defending. It, it is just... It, it, to me, it speaks to a lack of preparation for various game states, a lack of variety yeah. in approach. I mean, this team should know that 2-1 at the Alliance is a way to come home and win the tie, not it's time to throw hell for leather and lose 5-1. The mental capitulation comes to from being under the cosh. I think when you spend 50 minutes on the rack with, you, you know, you're, you got no possession. At one point, I think the first half, our pass completion percentage was 59%. We couldn't get the ball out. We couldn't get our breath, and, you know, Alexis was doing everything. I just think the approach was wrong. It's it's another game where we look totally outclassed. I mean, we saw ourselves get outclassed by PSG and somehow pull results out of the bag, and that didn't go for us this day. I think this was a combination of a collective failure and then certain individual errors. The Coughlin slash Ozil error on the first goal, Mustafi's error on two of them, Oxlade chamberlains error on one of them. I mean, right there you have four goals that are just purely down to individual errors. Uh, Paul, let me turn it over. I've got to say on the Oxlade one, to me it's very much in the Czech category of the game was fucked and the players tried to do something ridiculously aggressive from deep. So well, that, that's fair. That. Yeah, that. I mean, look, but but the point, my point wasn't to kill Oxford. Yeah. It was just to no, say no, it's from an individual yeah. error. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think the interesting thing is you go into Chelsea realizing you have to make a change. And granted, the Chelsea game didn't turn out in part because we abandoned it quickly after a fluky flying arm bar goal against us we started three men in midfield at Chelsea so clearly the manager had acknowledged I think I need to make a change here and the fact that he couldn't what changed what did he see going into Chelsea that had him thinking it's time for a three-man midfield I need to make this change that he abandoned after 20 minutes at Chelsea when we're one goal down that he couldn't bring to Bayern it's just frustrating on a lot of levels but I want to talk individual errors for a minute there's a player who I think now we really have to question his passing is excellent, and his defending in space up the pitch is excellent. But Mustafi is getting exploited time and time and time again 
when he's got to defend in his own box, when he's when he's got to be positionally aware, tactically aware, defending in his own defensive third. Paul, this was this was another really really bad performance by Mustafi. And my question to you is simply, how worried should we be? Is it time for Murtasacker to come back into the side? Uh, well, yeah, right now. I don't know how fi- how fit old Purr is. Uh, actually, interestingly, I was kind of worried about Gabrielle coming on, but uh, when I watched it closely, I-, I think he did okay. We'll come to that uh, in a minute, because I-, I just yeah, think the amount of people not- that used Koscielny going off as an excuse when Gabrielle yeah. wasn't that involved in the goals we conceded does not explain what happened. No, it doesn't. Uh, it- I mean, it might have explain it in the sense that maybe we lost our confidence and our blah 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 but there was no real a good team a well-drilled and confident team doesn't fuck up like that i mean mustafi was heavily uh you know fingerprints all over goals two and three all right now we're three one you're in a big fucking hole at that point um so yeah i mean it's I still kind of like Mustafi, but I don't have a leg to stand on over the last, uh, I think, last few games. Um, where you know what the reminds ones me where of? we've been rattled. Yeah, what, uh, what's his name? Uh, big-haired uh, clown guy at Chelsea or David Luiz? David Luiz, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Is David Luiz is not a great defender when he's got to sit in the back four, you know, as two center backs and defend in his own box. He, you know, he's bad at that. He's a great passer. He's got pace. He, you know, he's agile. Um, you know, Mustafi is who he is. I mean, he he can pass brilliantly, and I think he's very good when he's up the pitch defending in space. But but I he's just not he's not an excellent defender in his own box. And I, I mean, I just wonder if the way we play especially against big teams, just further exploits his weaknesses. Clive, I mean, do you want to weigh in on on Mustafi's yeah, performance? Yeah, I, I must admit, I, been, you know, I'm not sure about him. I've never been sure about him. And the reason why, I, th- I think he's the wrong profile of 10.5 that we needed. We needed someone more like a Virgil van Dijk. We needed somebody very tall, very big, very fast. Yeah. We need a dominant player. What we've done, we bought a blown up fullback that's good in one on one tackles, that's quite got some leadership skills. That actually those leadership skills were completely diminished last night. So we bought the wrong profile of player, in my opinion. We were looking at Fabian Shah when we were looking at Mustafi. There was Kulabali was out there, but he's left side and centre half. I'm not one of these Euro hipsters, but I looked at him and thought, Yep, you go to ground a lot. You're quite aggressive in the challenge. You tackle like a fullback. But actually, we needed a faster per Mertesacker. That's what we needed, a really dominant physical specimen. So what we do, what Mustafi does, when he's higher up the pitch, like you noted, and he's much more front foot, he looks quite good. And that's because of his technical football upbringing. He's played fullback. He's played defensive midfield. He's played centre-half. He's one of those fullbacks that was, that was great when he was younger, Lost a bit of pace, but it's quite aggressive in the air, so he moved inside. He's one of those central defenders that actually would look better in a three-man defense. I totally agree. Like, a, yep. like yeah. Asper Laqueta on that right-hand side. That sort of fallback back right Luis. back. <laughs> He's one of those people that needs the comfort of people around him. And that was highlighted last night. As soon as Koscielny left, I was looking for him to lead. And he, all he did, he actually played like a coward. He chased the ball. What you do when you're feeling not confident, you run after the ball into areas. It's going to get popped behind you, but you can't get blamed because you weren't there. 
he he had a coward's performance. He's not conning me. I've seen that performance from defenders before. He chased the ball significantly, and and it, 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 I think he for thirty five million pounds and a half. We've all been asking Wenger to spend some money, Well, he spent some money, and he spent it incorrectly. Uh, that that to me is a buy that's under huge pressure. Yep. I don't think it's the right profile of player for what we need. Yeah, I don't know that anybody came out of the match with credit, so it's 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 hard and it feels unfair to pick on people. But Mustafi is definitely one. I just think, unfortunately. We put individuals under so much pressure. And like Cole, sometimes if you squeeze it, it turns to dust, and sometimes it turns to diamonds. Um, Our players are under such intense pressure because they're put on islands so frequently. You know, when you don't have proper planning, when you don't have proper preparation, it is harder to hide your weaknesses. It is harder to play to your strengths. Um, I thought this game was a classic example of exposing your weaknesses. Hey, let's go with a two-man midfield that has no opportunity to have control in the match. And let's put Ozil in a position where he won't possibly be able to have influence. And let's put a Wobi out on the wing with Gibbs where they can get exploited by two very dangerous players on the same side. And let's have Mustafi defending deep in his own half, on his own, isolated against players who are incredible when it comes to movement. Um, It was just... It was a shit show on every level. Um, you know, I think the Ospina thing was a talking point, but honestly, I don't know how you could come away from this game thinking that Ospina was remotely a problem. Um, I think the, the, the thing that really is unfortunate is whether we deserved to be level or not, from 1-1 at halftime, you have to find a way to be in the tie 45 minutes fucking later. Paul, you're the yeah. manager. The half did not go the way you wanted it. You you took some heavy poundings, but the the the, sh- the shields are holding, and you're in the tie. And in fact, you're in the favored position in the tie at halftime. How much of this has to be on the manager for coming out and trying the same thing and getting slaughtered four nil at halftime of the first leg of a tie where you must be drilling into your team. Whatever you do, stay in the tie for 45 minutes. Hold them, tackle them, waste time, be as cynical as you fucking want, kick it long. I mean, there's got to be a way you come out of 45 minutes in the tie when you're 1-1 at halftime. Look, uh, I was happier with the first half than you were, and I think the manager was. So I come out of that first half thinking, all right, the first 20 minutes was rough. But we played our way into this. I just feel in the second half, that's where I kind of I do line up with you, which is, hang on, what worked in the first half was at least keeping it tight, keeping it, yes. keeping it yes. defense first, and then look for the opportunities. We were up chasing the fucking game down the other end within minutes of the second when half. When they drew I, us into their half, Paul... Yeah. It was yeah. lambs to the slaughter. It reminded me of the 6-0 at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. And to be honest, I could even be persuaded that that's okay if you keep your wits about you and you get your arse back. When I mean, Neuer has the ball from a, a corner we didn't get. Should be fucking, you know, the uh, a, a three-bell alarm should be going off. Neuer's just got the old fast ball back and uh, you know we're like we're running back like we're playing Watford and uh, which isn't necessarily a good sign and that you know we'll be all right this is fucking Bayern and Neuer gets the ball you 
fuckers, get your arse back and get compact. We, most of our players got back, but not compact. There were, you could play between our lines. There was gaps. Nothing like the first half. Um, I can't tell you how many times players sort of ran kind of near a Bayern player and then pointed and yeah. shouted at their teammate. But, you know, it looked like once they got the third, and even the second to some extent, but the third, the players knew they were overmatched and they quit. I'm not saying they quit, you know, like, oh, I'm done, I'm not trying anymore, but any belief they had just washed away. Let me ask you this. I think they quit on each other. That's yeah. what I think they did. I think they lost belief that the team they were in were going to produce as opposed to they stopped, you know. It's a, it's hard to believe any of them stopped trying, but this trying is the problem, though. Yeah. You, when you get out past whatever it is, 900 to 300, well, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but when, when you have it's so little of the ball. or 270. Yeah, yeah. When, when you have so little of the ball, you're just doing so much running around and chasing shadows, and you have to be so focused. And look, if you're a... Yeah. You know, if you're a Sunderland who's, you know, threatened with relegation and spends most games with 20% of possession, you know what it's like to have to focus like that. But big clubs aren't used to having to play that way, and I think that's part of the problem. You know, if you want to have a dogged defensive effort away at the Allianz, then you have to pick a side that can sit and have 20% possession, and this wasn't that side. So we did yeah. a little bit of neither. We did a little bit of neither. We didn't exactly. pick a team that could have control and, and go toe-to-toe, but we also didn't pick a team that could sit back in a shell, defend for 90 minutes, and counterattack with Walcott up the wing or Welbeck up the wing. Welbeck. I mean, I Why I, wasn't Welbeck playing? I don't know. Maybe they just felt he wasn't ready. I know there was some chatter on Twitter that he was going to get a start. It didn't turn out to be true. Now, it could be that the people saying that just didn't know what they were talking about. It could be that there were concerns about his fitness before the match. I don't know. But... It, it, it's questionable. Now, look, Clive, I think Mesodozo is a player you can't get away from talking about. I, I, am, I am torn. I don't want to be an apologist for him, but I feel that when you have 29% possession and he's playing a free role ahead of midfield two, of course he's going to have no impact. There's very little for him to be able to impact. At the same time, this is a player who very clearly gives us nothing out of possession he really does you can see him chasing shadows or pretending to chase shadows even at points in the match how do we resurrect Mesut role in this team is it as simple as going to a midfield three and moving him off to the wing or, or are the problems deeper I think the problems are deeper because Mesut thrives in a team that has possession and funny enough all the big games people say he goes missing Guess what? In those big games, what do we have less of? We have less possession. So the problem is our whole philosophy is built on what we do on the ball. Mesut Ozil off the ball, that's not what we bought him for. So we have to decide about how we set up structurally to ensure we have more possession. We have to decide what profile of players we have in the team to ensure we have more possession. If you look at if you look at Bayern, the technical players that they had were able to keep the ball. And we had players in our midfield, and I like some of those players. You know, they, I like them, but they were not technically able, or physically able, or intensely able to keep the ball. If they can't keep the ball at the base of our team, how can we get the top part of our team into play? So that's because that's the way Arsenal play because we play through the thirds. We could decide to play another way. We can decide to press from the front and work from mistakes. So you're asking Ozil to be an intense presser. That's not his game neither. right? So so again, as you said earlier, we got caught between two stools. 
We didn't know what we were. When you saw that team, you didn't know what we were trying to achieve. We we put Ozil in a place where he could cause the least amount of damage defensively. I think he was waiting for the counter-attack. But now he becomes the lightning rod for us because he's our franchise player. He's our highest paid player and he's our record signing and he's the man that's meant to make the difference in his big games. But he can't make the difference because we need the ball to allow him to make the difference. So what we're seeing is a player devoid of confidence and he stopped running. And for, you know, in one thing about English football, people judge you on your effort and your passion. Rightly or wrongly, they do. And we have players with half the talent, but if they run around a lot, we're quite happy with them. Well, he stopped running. And it, it was evident last night. His frustration shone, shone from the screen. And he's an easy target. From, uh, from my angle, the way I look at football, he's one of my most favourite players, I said before, because I've learned so much about the game technically from watching him play and how he impacts the game. But this was a game not to carry a passenger. I didn't want him dropped before the game, but after the game, you ask yourself, could we have played a 4-4-2 and someone quicker, a Walker or Welbeck next to Sanchez. Much more pressing, much more fear in the transition, much more impact. I just don't, I don't know how you can have a player like Mesut Ozil and not find a way to get the best out of him. And I, it is not meant to be an excuse for a player who can be giving more. But I think when you have mercurial superstars, that's managing in modern football. You know, you look at, look at Aiden Hazard. Look at how Jose Mourinho lost Hazard last season. And look at how Conte has gotten him back this season. You know, I mean, you look at how they have to manage players like Diego Costa. What, what Conte's gone through with Costa this season to where, oh my God, he's, they, they're going to lose him. Um, and then, no, they're not going to, like, you know, it's easy to get mad at Ozil. But he is exceptionally talented. And there has to be a way that we can get that milk that talent out of him that felt like a really bad turn of phrase um you, you, Paul, you can milk me. pretty much any player with breasts yeah you can, can i i've got i got nipples can you milk me um what what's that from uh, meet meet the fuckers that's right um yeah. okay paul so just quickly on ozil i mean it, yeah, do we have I'll, an ozil be... problem or do we have do we have a management problem uh, well we definitely we have both but i'll be okay with ozil leaving um, well, you're going to get your wish. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, I love him when he's great and when we're playing great. But I'm sorry, you can't have your most expensive player only good for half the games you play. We're, whoever comes in, I don't think we're going to dominate the league next year or the year after. So we're going to have critical games against big teams away from home. Yeah. And what we're basically saying is he's no use to us. But but can I ask a, just, just a quick question? Can't we, because I mean, I even think we, look, I'm not saying it fixes everything, but can't we upgrade the midfield, you know, get get uh, a Shaka-Kazorla replacement? So you have a Shaka-Kazorla-Oxlade-Chamberlain. Let's just say, I'm just throwing names out there. Or Wilshire-Ramsey-Shaka sure. yep. midfield, and Ozil's wide left, and Alexis is through the middle, and Welbeck's on the right, and you have a little more control and a platform, and Ozil can drift into that left half space and come shallow and you know go deeper and go beyond the last man and feel that freedom, and you sure up the fullback position, that left-back position needs to be shored up anyway, and suddenly you see a, a, a path 
towards building Ozil back up. Or you play a 4-4-2 diamond and you have someone like Shaka who can shuttle the ball at the base of that midfield and you have a Ramsey and a Cazorla type you know, who, who cover those, those center spaces and then Ozil's in front of them and he's got a platform. I mean, I'm, the, the guy is an incredible footballer and he didn't forget how to football. I just... It seems clear that with the two-man midfield, and especially when Coughlin is one of them, whatever you think of how he plays and what his qualities are, it doesn't lend the control that this guy needs. I, I think it'll be a shame to see him go because ultimately I think his time at the club will be viewed as a failure despite delivering two trophies at the end of a long trophy drought. Um, but I will feel, because everybody cares what I feel, that we had an exceptional player who the manager maybe failed to get the most out of. And unfortunately, one of the lasting legacies of Arsene's second ten second decade in charge, I think, is going to be failing to get the most with some special players. I don't think he ever put the right players around Fabregas. And to be fair, that was during the banter era when we didn't have any money. And the same could be said about Van Persie during his couple real highlight seasons. And he always had some players in there that, that he just hasn't really been able to properly support to get the most out of them now clive i think in the wake of this there's a couple of things i I think we have to address first of all the tie is gone it's going to create a very unpleasant return leg i think we can agree on that right um quitters what was that quitters (laughs) yeah all right the tie is not gone we're going to win the second leg three nil obviously um but i think one of the things that that we have to ask now is what the fallout from this is. There is still a season on here. There's still an FA Cup run and a need to get top four. So so the first thing I want to ask is, does a performance like this in the Champions League, which now I think we're 19-3 to against in first legs over the last six seasons in the Champions League, um, does this wow. sort of make it feel a little bit like qualifying for this competition isn't worth this i mean does this really take the gloss off the top four finishes that we've so prided ourselves upon over the last 20 years i tell you what i always say think i can take or leave the competition until the build-up to a game like yesterday and and i'm really excited about it and uh, and so the competition means something to me but again much like our team selection and much like much of our strategy i'm not sure what we're trying to achieve when we enter it are we trying to win it are we trying to get so far so we get money? What are we trying to achieve? We're not committing to something. There is no clear strategy. There's nobody saying we're going to build a squad to win the Champions League. So we enter a competition purely for financial reasons. And it goes back to you know many people's opinions that we care a lot more about the bottom line than the finishing line. And that's what matters to people at Arsenal. And, and it screams out in our culture. And then we who analyse games and really want to look at games and care about the football, we get surprised when we see a team that's quite meek. And I always say that this team, in modern football, sometimes you just need to compete at the top level, but you don't have to win. You don't have to win to be successful. You just need to be near the top to move with football as as it develops. If football has a European Super League, Arsenal are positioned. If there's a new TV deal and it's going to go to the super clubs and they're going to go to Google or whatever, Arsenal are positioned. We are positioned to any world event in world football. We've got a global brand being developed. And sometimes the things like who plays left wing, we've got a 20-year-old academy kid playing left wing in a, in a European Cup game. 
I wonder if that's really important to some of the people behind the club, right? So I think there's a real feeling there's something different about this game. We've been beaten before, we've capitulated before, but there's something different about this game. And in my opinion, what's different was the players' reactions to the adversity. I felt they quit. I felt they quit on the manager. I thought they quit on each other. And that's what feels different. And the chat here in England is very, very terminal about (laughs) the Wenger's future. Very, very terminal. I've not heard it like this before. And it it is really impossible to ignore the fact that when you have performances like this that are so humiliating, that trying to praise the consistency of coming top four every year feels sort of empty and hollow. Because this feeling hurts just as bad as not getting into it in the first place, I would think. You know, I don't know what it would like to be, be feel like to be in the Europa League. Maybe that would just feel humiliating. But I have to believe that beating a Saint-Étienne in the round of 16 in the Europa League would feel better than losing 5-1 to Bayern in the round of 16 in the Champions League. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I do know that being in the Europa League is not good for domestic goals. And, you know, that maybe the best thing is to just be out of all of these competitions. And we may get that wish. That that remains to be seen. Paul, I think... It hasn't, it hasn't worked for Spurs today, though. They lost 1-0 to Ghent or something. So, there's, yeah. you know, there's no guarantees with the... Uh, well, that's why we, we say can't this. smile without you, right? I mean, like, they, yeah. they, ex- they exist for a reason. <laughs> Otherwise, they yeah. just fold the club. So, um, this or the Europa League, I'll take this. So that's, no, that's I, my I, I get that. And I have to agree with Clive to this point. It is so easy to dismiss the CL and like just write it off as being an, an irrelevance, especially in an era now where there's so much money in the Premier League that you can get players even without the lure of Champions League. But like, I do get up for these games. I can't deny it. I like the, these European nights. I mean, I don't like this, but that moment before it kicks off when you have you know, dreams of the big year trophy dancing in your head, like it's exciting. I, I, the dreams don't last very long for us, unfortunately, but that's just the way it goes. Um, you know, it, it does beg the question, too. I mean, why is this a manager who, even in the banter years, was able to get further in this competition than he seems to be now? And, Paul, I guess my question for you is, you know, the way tactic Arson revolutionized football in England when he arrived, and I feel that football has gone through a tactical and managerial revolution again during his tenure that he has not been able to keep up with. Is it getting clearer and clearer that for all of his many talents and for all of his intelligence, which is abundant, the evolution of football tactics and management that has taken place in this second act of his career is something he has not been able to keep up with? Yeah, I think so. I had hoped that he would step up. Um, Obviously, for some time now, it's been apparent that tactics aren't really his thing. Um, to me, last year was the year I was going to judge him by. Uh, this year was a bonus second attempt at it, but I really thought he should have been set up to step up and perform last year, and nothing was really any different on our side. Well, and the league and lifted the, its skirt for him too, right? I mean, yeah, all the big clubs yeah. just kind of fell away. Yeah. And so... I mean, you can see the evolution in the game. You can see that if pressing isn't something... Uh, we have two problems with pressing. We don't know how to do it, and we don't know to ha- how to handle it. Well, he could maybe come up with a philosophy where he doesn't need to press, but he can't come up with a philosophy that says, I don't need to handle it. And, you know, that, that's just the way the game is. You're going to play four or five or six of the best teams 
who all know how to press. You know, Chelsea isn't a pressing team, but they know how to press when they need to. Um, that's how they scored their goals against us, by cranking up the pressure just at the key moments, even though they're not, you don't think of them as a pressing team. Um, and, and to me, with the way the game's evolving, the additional fitness of players, the eking out every inch of space, the using every angle. I mean, what Bayern did on a number of occasions was just beautiful how they worked the ball from in to out. Tiago uh, slaughtered us. He found every oh, space in that in that midfield that we left available and he popped up in it. And it just I'm sorry, look, Tiago's an exceptionally talented player, but to yeah. me it looked like he had been really well drilled on where the space was going to be for him to operate and that they worked on getting him into those spaces. They did. Uh, when you look at that the Tiago, the first Tiago goal and it starts off on on our right-hand side, and we got Cochrane and Chaka pretty close, and it kind of seems okay, and you, you, your eyes move to Mustafi pointing to his full back, and you're kind of distracted by that. But they ping it forward back, and bang, right into Lewandowski, who's dropped back, and Thiago with a coordinated run across. I mean, even if Mustafi had been, not, had been on it, that would have been a tough uh, chance to cut out. It would have been a, a kind of last-minute uh, sliding tackle uh, and the n- number of times they moved it so well so cleverly to the wings to where we knew they were going to be but they didn't do it in an obvious way that they pull you in and then they'd switch it cleverly and um, yeah i i you know i had hoped that if wenger didn't feel he was the guy to to bring us to the to pressing nirvana he'd bring in an assistant who knew all about pressing but he hasn't uh, He's crossed his fingers and hoped that his philosophy of automatisms and this kind of psychic understanding would be enough because that's how he likes to coach. He doesn't he doesn't like doing that kind of mecha- well, I think it seems mechanical to him would yeah. be my guess. Bit like defensive stuff. Uh but you know this this would be in his area pressing etc i always felt us pressing as a team was really a player-led initiative internally it very it seems very yeah. individually oriented anyway when it happens you know unsophisticated forward yeah it's not yeah. coordinated and and the irony is the 15 minutes where we excelled at the end of the first half may have sowed the seeds for our demise because had we not had those the manager may have felt compelled to change it but the irony is by virtue of those 15 minutes we kind of puffed out our chest at the start of the second half and continued to forage into their half. And that was really the undoing for us because just the way they exploited the space after that was embarrassing. Um, yeah, but I, but I can't let it go, Elliot. If we had done that, but everybody had been switched on, everybody was shouting to get back and get compact, compact afterwards, but we were treating it like, you know what I mean? There's the I, two I sides it, to it. But, but can I just give you a quick counterpoint to that, which is it may have just been that we're easy enough that, that Ancelotti got him in the, into the dressing room. They looked at what we were doing when we were getting into their half. They saw where the space was. They adjusted, and they said, if they come into our half like that in the second half, here's how we get around it. I mean, Paul, to yeah, me— Yeah, but it, even, even with that, uh, uh, like uh, if I accept that, even then it is within our power— to get a rocket up our arse and get back and get compact. And we didn't do that. No, that's true. And if we were too tired to do both, 
then it's obvious what the choice needed to be. Clive, since you're, on the po- since you're on the podcast, yeah. why don't we let you talk a little bit? Go <laughs> we're, we're, we're missing a trick here, right? So um, Probably. We're, what's happening is we, we haven't got the right profile of players to be intense enough to turn over possession, to press people tightly enough, to put them under pressure. We are too easy to play against. When that ball went into Lewandowski, Gabriel was two yards away. He's got to be in his socks. He's got to be rattling his ankles. He can't see that flick. He's got to be right there, arm in the back, force him away to have a touch. That's how you're coached. It's fair. This isn't this isn't about tactics. This is about philosophy and emphasis. The emphasis of Wenger's tactics is far more about pace of pass, timing of pass, automatic pattern patterns of play that's what he's about he's about creating and facilitating an environment for creativity and that's why when Arsenal score goals they are beautiful goals that you've never seen anywhere else before the emphasis of how we prepare for games needs to be far more two-sided far more off the ball and the profile of players that we buy in my opinion are not athletic enough and what's happening in world football is the talent pool at the top layer is reducing But there is plenty, plenty of sports science and people can measure, understand, train and physically reach a level where players like Theo Walcott don't look so fast anymore because everyone's fast. Do you see what I mean? We are are missing a trick. We are dismissing the athleticism and physicality of football, the model that Wenger brought to this country. And I, and that's what's closing the gaps. When our technical players can't get on the ball, we look like... I mean, how many times have you heard that phrase, it was men against boys? You heard it against Chelsea and you felt it again against Bayern Munich. That never used to happen. I mean, I, you know, we grew up with the Vieira era. You didn't, you didn't run down the middle when he played. Now, the Invincibles he, he were giants. The I mean, they were physically imposing players. They, they may not have had the, the pace, all of them, that some of our players today... Too, but they had the physicality, that's for sure. They, they, it, it doesn't they, help they that eighty percent of our hamstrings are made of cheddar cheese. But like, yeah, yeah it doesn't help. But you know, even players like in you know, I don't want to hark back, but the intensity is missing. The intensity is not there. I'm I'll give you an Alexis example. Sanchez. Let, let me give you an example of that just really quickly because sometimes we make this sound like chess when it's really just checkers. Um, we can talk about tactical discipline and you know how we could have set the team up and try to make it sound all complicated. A great example of what you're saying with intensity, Clive, is how many times in that game did one of their midfielders have the ball 35 or 40 yards out from our goal, no one within 5 or 10 yards of them? Yeah. To concede that amount of space to players of that quality... Our midfield line dropped back into our back four and left their midfield 10 yards of space every time they got within 40 yards of our goal. That can't be the plan. That's just either laziness or lack of attention to detail. But, like, Clive, you can't let a Tiago or a Xavi Alonso or a Vidal have the ball 35 yards out from your goal with no one putting pressure on him. Yeah, you've got to decide what you want to do. Better than him standing between your lines, though. I mean, yeah. yes, but there has to be some separation of your lines. It can't just be, you can't be, you know, seven or eight men across the 18-yard the box. Do you remember when we spoke about the FA Cup game, Southampton, the Southampton game, and how fast we looked and how in charge we looked physically, how we moved the ball? It looked like we were Southampton that reserved Southampton team last night. We played a team that were quicker, stronger, 
bigger than us. Lewandowski picked up Mustafi on the back stick because he knew he had him physically. He put him in his pocket and he buried him on a header and turned him upside down. We need to fix that. We need to fix that. Thiago wouldn't get anywhere near the Barcelona team that we had a much better result with a few years ago, but he overran us in centre midfield. So we're doing something wrong. Xavi Alonso is 106, but he doesn't receive the ball without the next pass in his head. We have to have players like that. I think we've got one, but we're not protecting him. Should we give Shaka, for example, we give him Coquelin. Xavi Alonso's got Vidal, a dog that doesn't stop running, and he's got Thiago. Guess which one is more successful in the strategy? You've just got to commit to the players that you buy. There's no point in buying the player for £35 million and throwing him out there, knowing he's not very athletic, he's a wonderful passer, and then leaving him there to die and do 20-yard doggies all night. That's just bad management, bad structure, bad coaching, bad philosophy. And I've got to say, you know, when Wenger says, uh, as part of his explanations, well, they were a better team, you know, I'm not a big man for, or a big, big one for saying spend the fucking money. But Arson, you've a hundred million dollars, a hundred million quid in the bank. So if they're a better team, you could have closed the gap. Better question: Are they a four-goal better team? I don't think so. No. I mean, I, are they a better team? Sure. When I saw their starting eleven, I was like, half. holy shit, that that's a good team. But like, they're they're not a five-one better team. And I, no. I, I, I got to tell you, I mean. There were times we went up against Titans in Europe with the banter era team and and did better than we're doing now. Sure. Um, so, Paul, question for you here. I mean, the, it is hard to see as a supporter even how you lift yourself from this and go forward and try to care about the rest of the season. Do you have any worry about this unraveling? What is the is the yeah. key to this season getting? staying on track that the manager now has to bring in some players that have been on the fringe does he have to find a role for Lucas for Welbeck does he have to maybe bring in an Ainsley Maitland Niles or try to bring Murdisacker back in the side what what does he have to do to ensure that this doesn't snowball into a sitting seventh a month from now well you named three good players there that would be uh, I would have been itching to get into this lineup you, you have to agree um, by the way Paul right like when you and I had the argument about Perez back yeah. in December or whatever like now you got to say, surely something's up with that, right? Yeah, yeah. If anything comes out of this, just, just to, you know, to pat myself on the back for no fucking particular uh, reason. Anyway, go carry on. Uh, well, if anything comes out of this, it's the ray of hope that I'll win the bet on Perez because yeah, because now make he has changes. to. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's the big picture here that none of us seem to have homed in on. L- look, I, you know, how do I see a happy path out of this from a supporter standpoint? that Wenger quickly comes to terms with the situation, makes it clear that this is his final run-in. The supporters get behind him. The team want to send him off in a good way and, and, and put their nose to the grindstone for the run-in, and we go deep in the FA Cup and win it. That's how we turn this absolute shit-fest of a season into one we can all look back on uh, with some degree of warmth. Short of that, if he leaves the decision hanging out there for a long time, it's a fucking catastrophe. And if we don't go deep in the FA Cup, it's a it's going to be a shit show. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's hard because there's a lot of moving pieces now. I mean, Clive, as the season goes on and, you know, we're out of Europe and starting to really, you know, have a fingertips grasp on top four... 
the questions about the manager will continue to grow louder and potentially destabilize the team. How worried are you that that issue hanging over us and being unresolved could lead to this season kind of falling down the stairs? Yeah, it, it, it worries me a lot. It, it makes us vulnerable. It makes us topic of conversation. It makes us the target from every single two-bob pundit that's out there is having a comment. Hey, I resemble that remark. <laughs> and uh and it's not and it and it's none of it's positive and it and it takes away from a lot of the good work that the, the man's done right so um but if you're in a in an elite organization what you got to do you got to recognize when it's your time and i felt he's just batted on a little bit too long he didn't recognize the moment to layer himself bring in a set of new coaches change the people structure of the club i say it's down to him because i don't know who else can do it and that's also a worry because the other people are faceless, completely opaque. In fact, I don't know who Wenger reports to because he seems to be the number one man in the club, which in any organization that you run, to have that single point of failure is not smart. And so people know that, so they attack that man, knowing it will destabilize us. They know we are superstar dependent. We have three or four superstars in the club on the playing side, maybe three, Cashel, Niazel and Sanchez. We can debate that. And we have one superstar manager that is the club that is no way to build an elite organization and everyone knows it so they attack us in those areas we are vulnerable we need a much greater structure going forward and that's the worry and i don't know how and who is going to do it yeah and that's what concerns me the, the really sad part would be if you know the one thing he's had to cling to this last decade the second decade is the tremendous consistency he's delivered of always landing us in the top four which, while that's not what any fan would sign up for as their goal, is creditable. And it's not easy to celebrate, but it is worth appreciation. And it would be oddly ironic and unfortunate if the year he leaves, he leaves without delivering that. And so he goes out not only without having delivered a title or a Champions League or any of that, but without that top four finish that has kind of become his legacy of the second act of his career. That would be really unfortunate. I mean, we're not there yet. The irony, of course, is... We're at such a low point now that if you were to turn around and deliver top four, by the end of the season, we might be looking at that as a victory and everyone might be feeling great. Who knows? Um, let's leave it there because there's only so much misery you can heap on an already miserable group of people. And we'll probably have a win to discuss after this weekend, which we should grasp onto with both hands and never let it go because who knows when it'll come again. The bright side is after that, there's no football at all. So we can't lose when we don't play. We'll try. Let's see what happens. Anyway, Clive is on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks so much, Clive. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it, man. You can find Paul pausing in my pants. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys. Yeah, guys, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for uh, coming on and discussing what was a really, really tough night to be an Arsenal supporter, but one that we have been well drilled for. So if you want to say the manager doesn't prepare the, the team, I'd say you're wrong. I think he's prepared us very, very well for just this sort of evening. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner, give us a five-star review and write nasty stuff in the comments. That way everybody gets uh, what they want. We get the five-star review and you get the attention of the five-star review and then the nasty comments. And Anyway, it all works out for everybody. We'll be back uh, after Sutton. I say he puts all the first-teamers out there and makes those fucker millionaires work for their wages. Of course, they might lose, so may maybe not. Maybe we throw in the reserves that beat Southampton. We'll see. In any event, uh, we appreciate you sharing your misery with us, and we will talk to you after the FA Cup. Uh, cheers and up the arsenal, everybody.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.